Author William Peter Blatty once won $10,000 on Groucho Marx's game show, You Bet Your Life. When Groucho asked him what he wanted to do with the money, he said, I'm just going to take some time off and write a novel, no big deal. Well, that novel turned out to be The Exorcist. And in a weird twist of fate, years later, when they were filming The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty thought the atmosphere on the set could use a little levity. So he arranged for Groucho Marx to be dressed as Father Merritt. He would enter the house during one of the shots, take off his hat, and reveal himself. Groucho was all up for doing it, but the director William Friedkin got sick that day, and the whole thing was scrapped. Is that not the spookiest legend or myth you've ever heard about the film The Exorcist? Ha! <laughs> I didn't think so. Well, they're just going to get spookier from here. My name's Matt Gorley. This is I Was There Too. It's the show where I talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history. My guest today is Eileen Dietz. She played the face of the demon Pazuzu that you see flashed up on the screen. She also played Regan during the famous cr crucifixion, hey, nani nani, don't talk about that scene, as well as the puking pea green soup scene and slapping Ellen Burstyn scene, among many others. The Exorcist is probably the most famous horror movie of all time, and it deals with the implications surrounding demon possession. Though if you watch the film carefully, Regan steals a cookie from the cookie jar early on, and I think that's the reason for all of this happening. The ultimate sin of stealing a cookie. The demon Eileen Dietz plays is called Pazuzu, but it's also known as Captain Howdy, and she can settle the argument of which is the proper name and why they're called what they're called. It was really fun to talk to Eileen, and sometimes a little harrowing, because she would actually get a smile that was very similar to the demon Pazuzu that you've seen in the movie. And I'm not going to lie, it freaked me out a little bit. Now let's connect this episode's guest with last episode's. This one came to me in a flash, and it's easy. Paul Rust to Brad Pitt in Glorious Bastards. Brad Pitt to Harrison Ford in, like, The Devil's Game, some Irish Republican Army drama that came out in the 90s, I think, to Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens with Max von Sydow. Max von Sydow to Eileen Dietz in The Exorcist. This was a fascinating interview, and Eileen Dietz's story arc is very interesting, all of which you can read about in her book, Exercising My Demons. We talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. So enjoy hearing what it was like to puke pea green soup on a subarctic set, the director slapping people and firing guns into the air, and eventually and allegedly luring her to a meeting in Hollywood where he told her she'll never work again. Here we go. The film, The Exorcist, The Year... 1973, The Role, The Demon Pazuzu, or Captain Howdy, plus a bunch of the other ungodly stuff that Regan did when she was possessed. The actor, Eileen Dietz. Eileen Dietz, you need to settle a bet for the public because you're the expert. Do you consider the role you played in The Exorcist to be the Demon Pazuzu or Captain Howdy? I know it's both, but what what's the definitive role? Uh, well... It depends on. They're almost two different parts. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, good. Captain Howdy is the face that jumps out at you. Oh. In the original, it was only used once, but now they. I think the last one is three times. At least, yeah. At I least. watched that one. There's quite a few. Yeah, you get a lot more screen time face wise. I know, in that one. <laughs> and there's a lot of debate over which, how people like it the best. Do you uh, have a preference? Well, the reason I, I liked it the first time was because. 
when people saw it the first time, there was, of course, no DVDs and yeah. God knows, and there was no um, VCRs. So when people saw it, when it opened, apparently they'd walk out of the theater and they'd go, did you see that face? And what face? The face that was over Father Karras' mother. No, I didn't see that. And then they'd go see it again. So that was kind of neat. And then once VCRs came out, they tried to stop it, but it was really hard on the VCR. And now, now that the DVRs uh, came out, they can stop it. I did that very that. thing when <laughs> I was watching for this film. and Because uh, I, I remember when I first saw it, it feels like it's almost a still shot. But whatever version, I watched the extended version, there's a scene where you're kind of almost like pursing your lips back a little bit. And it gives you a few frames of the demon face moving. And it's incredibly harrowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, to finish the other thought, and then I'll tell you about this. Please. Um, so the other thing that I did, which was really Pazuzu, is, as you said, um, I like to say I was the demon that possessed Reagan as opposed to anything else. And um, so that was Pazuzu, and I was made up to look like Reagan to the absolute magic of Dick Smith, who passed last year. Yeah, we'll but talk about him a bit. It was his idea to um, to be able to to make Reagan or the demon as much look as much like a human being as possible so that you didn't just say, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen to my kid. But anyway, so having done um, the vomiting sequence, the levitation, the abuse of the cross, as we call it. Um, <laughs> that's a very – you know what? That's better than what I have in my notes, so let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the, the death scene at the end and all that, um, that was really Pazuzu. So that's okay. what the difference of it of it really is. At least that's how I look at it. Okay. So let's break down exactly what you were. Obviously, you were the face of Captain Howdy. And then when you are the demon in Reagan's body, you're Pazuzu. So that included the vomiting, right, which we can talk about in detail. I understand the prosthetics on that were quite an ordeal. Yeah. Also, you did the crucifix scene. And anybody that's seen this film knows what we're talking about there. It gets a little hot and bothered my um, assistant has the original crucifix what she bought it on auction and when she does shows with me which you can take a picture with the real crucifix she just tracked it down she tracked it down she was she was the most avid avid um exorcist fan you could find is that how she found her way to be your assistant well she used to have this kind of love affair with linda blair oh. and um, she kind of bought stuff for her, and then Linda just turned her off at a show, which Linda does do sometimes. And oh, yeah. Just kind of almost ignored her. So then, yeah, she decided – my joke with Marianne is that she stalked me, you know, because she decided she had to know me. And we went to a show called Monster Mania in New Jersey, and she came and said hello. And before I knew it, she was sitting next to me and taking money, which is always nice to have somebody take the money for you because uh -huh. then you don't – feel like a salesperson. This is when people are getting your autograph yeah. and that sort of thing. Okay. And then um, time went on and I said, I'm doing a show in Ohio. Do you want to come? And she said, yes. And then she did like oh, 20 shows with me. And the expression that we coined <laughs> was, suddenly you're on the other side of the table, you know, because <laughs> she had dinner with George Romero. Oh, wow. And these are all my manager's clients, but she had dinner with George Romero, with Malcolm McDowell and Adrian Barbeau, Dee Wallace, and all these people that she had just always seen from kind of afar. And she's very funny because she has a really strong New York accent. Eileen, <laughs> you know, I, I can't believe that all this is really happening to me. But anyway, so. <laughs> I, I love that she goes from trying to get with Linda Blair to eventually 
working for Linda Blair's dark, possessed side. I know, I know. Well, she actually, all she, at one point, she wanted Linda to sign the crucifix, and Linda didn't want to do it. So uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, I don't know how Linda feels about that. So what else were you? Were you a portion where Regan slaps Ellen Burstyn as well? Yes. Okay. So uh, is that everything? We covered everything that you did? Uh, probably not. Yeah, it sounds um, like I you also, did quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, on the film for almost four months. How did you go from uh, initially being the face of Captain Howdy to ending up on set? Totally the other way around. The the face for Captain Howdy, we shot the last day really? of the last shoot of the last thing, and it was just an idea that makeup had from a makeup test or something like that, and they said, let's shoot it. And one of my funny stories without going into great detail is everybody, when is this film going to end? Because they <laughs> shot it from 14 months, from uh, pre-production to post. And a lot of times nobody was working. We'd be on this really high-paying unemployment while they <laughs> did the set totally over again when they reshot everything. So um, the, I had booked a commercial because I thought we were going to be done. Oh, during the shoot. Yeah, it was sort of like this. Last day, or you know, they kept telling me we were going to be done. And they, you know, the short story is, the commercial people. I said I can't do it. I got to go work on my film. And they said, if you don't do it, we'll call the Screen Actors Guild. You committed to this, and I don't know where my agents were. And so I told, spoke to the people at The Exorcist, and their famous line was, this is The Exorcist. <laughs> and uh, we'll report you to the Screen Actors Guild. And all of a sudden I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So um, I called the commercial people. I said, how many spots are you doing? And they said, four. I said, if I get there by lunchtime, can we make this work? And he said, yes. And so that was the last shot we did. And the crew, who kind of... They didn't particularly like Billy Freakin' anyway, but they just set up as slow as they could. They knew what was going on. So we did six or seven shots. In the morning, they threw me into makeup, washed my hair, get, took the makeup off, put me in a limo, and took me to the commercial. And the commercial ran for like three or four years. What so was the commercial for? It was just a little bank in the <laughs> South, and I don't remember even the name of it, but it was like, ding! <laughs> Ding, you know, uh, uh, come to so-and-so bank or something. <laughs> but So let's go back and uh, talk about how you got started with this film. How how did you end up? Um, I was a New York actress, mm -hmm. and I was running around doing things. I did a couple soap operas other than General Hospital that are all defunct. <laughs> it makes me old. <laughs> Do you uh, remember but, the names? Yeah, well, the first one I ever did, I had one line on, and it was called The Doctors. One line is much harder to do than... In a speech or a paragraph. Why is that? Because you keep rehearsing the one line, whatever <laughs> it was. You give it too you know, much attention. How, yeah, how yeah. are you feeling? How how are you feeling? How did it? <laughs> but then I did Love of Life. I did a PBS special with Sam Waterston. Mm. And so I'd worked a lot. Not a lot, a lot, but a lot. Enough. <laughs> Never enough. But um, so I did a play called Ontological Proof of My Existence, wow. which is a play by Joyce Carol Oates. Except it wasn't a play. It was actually a pre Amble to one of her books. And we did this at a, um, a little theater called the Cabiculo. And one fateful night, they, in New York, you could go from agent to agent. You didn't just have to sign with one person. And they called me the next day, and they said they actually had a real ca a casting breakdown for this part of somebody who was small and who was strong and who could act. And uh, they said, do you want to do this? And I said, sure, which... They, people delight in calling me a double or a stunt double or all that stuff. Well, doubles don't 
have breakdowns, right? I was thinking the other day, if it, if it had been a double, which is an extra, I never would have done it. And my whole life would have been totally different because yeah. I don't do extra work. So then after that, um, um, I, I went down there. I met the casting director. She said, go home, read the book. And then come back and do some improvisations for me. And that's another fun part in the book. Because, I, I mean, how do you play a demon? Yeah, you tell me. So we're, when you went back and did the improvisations, was it just for the casting director or was for... No, just can, for the casting okay, director. Okay, so what were the improvisations? What did you well, do? Well, I decided the closest I could come to a demon was a wild animal. It's like... <laughs> you know? It's pretty So good. I went to the library, got a book about wild animals. Um, and I make up my own method of acting. Yeah. Um, uh, made the my apartment very dark. Lit some candles and um, did wild animals. Were you thinking of a specific wild animal, or which one I, do you I, think got you the role? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, mean, I think it was a combination of like a leopard and a tiger. Anyone that would go, I mean, this is radio. Any, anyone that would, <laughs> which is also like a cat. I, I do have to it. tell you, this is eerie seeing you flash up on screen as the face of Captain Howdy and then the face you just made right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, is, but, it is a little a little chilly. Oh, good. You know, we like to do that at shows. But that's really how it happened. And then after that, um, the improvs, then she said, I'd like to, you to meet some people. And um, that's when I met Billy Freakin and Linda Blair and her mother and Dick Smith, which was the important one. Yeah. And then I went up to Dick Smith's studio so that they could make a face mask to see if they could fit the same mask. So you're already cast at this point. Face. Oh, yeah, it was great. I love it. What was your first meeting with William Friedkin, like before we get to the uh, makeup? Oh, it's just very perfunctory. Uh-huh. Hi, how are you? Fine. That uh, that was basically the whole relationship we had during the shoot. Okay. You know, it was very perfunctory. Okay. And William Friedkin really kind of lived in his own world. Yeah. I don't think he was much of an actor's director to anybody. Didn't seem like it. I mean, the, the stories are famous from the set of him slapping... <laughs> the guy that played Father Dyer, to make him react accordingly in the scene. So did you ever witness any of that kind of intense direction from him? Well, the the best I did um, (laughs) during the slapping scene, he decided he'd shoot off a gun. You were there? Because I heard that. Oh, my God. And so um, the first time they shot off the gun, it was kind of, Oh my! Yeah, everybody reacted the way they were supposed to, except me, of course. Did but he just shoot it right as you the, slapped? Uh, no, it was right before. It okay. was on their entrance. I, okay. So the entrance, watch what's going on, take a second slap. So the first time it was great, I guess. You know, the gun went off. The second time it was like, yeah. you know, you kind of startled. The third time it was kind of like, what the hell was that? You know, <laughs> who cares? And. You know, it's it's just about trusting the actors. There was another time that I wasn't on the set that he decided the stench of the demon should be really bad. So Uh he mixed up a whole thing of rotten eggs and rotten meat and rotten stuff like that. And the crew just got sick and they had to stop (laughs) shooting that day. (laughs) It's kind of fun because I'm the only one really on the set of the movie that can tell you stories like that because Linda was either too young or doesn't care to remember which is a lot. She has a love-hate with The Exorcist. I'm sure. Um, and Ellen Burstyn doesn't care about any of that stuff. And unfortunately, you know, Jason Miller's dead, yeah. you know, and, and Max Van Sydow is, has grown into his makeup, you know. <laughs> I know. It's incredible that he's 44 when that movie was made. And now he's, he's 80-something because yeah, yeah. that movie, The Anniversary, was just uh, a year and a half ago. That's right. No, two years ago. We're going into March. 
Yeah, it, this movie came out the year I was born. Oh, shit. <laughs> you just made a Captain Howdy face. Uh, it's just like, um, okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm not going to say what year this movie and came out. And here I was acting. And most people that know The Exorcist probably know when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, it seems impossible that it was that long really? ago. It just, I mean, it doesn't seem like yesterday, but it certainly seems like a couple of years ago. It certainly doesn't seem that long ago. But were you aware on set that you guys were making something seminal, or was not it, at all? Not at all. So not at all. Just another. We were just job, making huh? a horror film. <laughs> it was the biggest project. I, I mean, I, my first movie was an epic called Teenage Gang Debs. They fight. They love. And it was all about knives. Cause, Teenage Gang Debs. Uh huh. <laughs> I've got to go home, first, straight home and find oh, out. Oh, they have that. It's uh, They have that somewhere. I have it. I'm going to buy um, up every copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I fell in love with a guy named Piggy. <laughs> it was a great uh, – actually, that one, though, was, you know, it was at a time of drive-ins. And um, they were all over, particularly in the South, I guess. And it was black and white with, I was told, a very pulsating <laughs> – yeah, it beat, and it was very successful on that circuit. Uh-huh. And one night, uh, my husband was watching television, and the next morning he said, I mean, did you do a movie in white go-go Uh-oh. boots? You know? And I said, yeah. He said, well, um, it was on, um, gosh, I forget, now I can't, of course, I can't remember the name of the show, and I can't remember the actress who did it. Um, but it was on, and um, that's why I got the copy of it. And they showed a clip of all the movies in the whole world they could have shown. They showed that clip. Oh, my God. And so we ordered the um, – at the time, it, uh, it was a, uh, um, a tape. Uh-huh. And now I have it in DVD just because it's fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, let's talk a little bit about Linda. It was also my first new team. What, Teenage Debs? Oh, no, that was David Holzman's diary. My mind just did a flip-flop. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Eileen. Scandalous. In the 70s, there was a lot of that going on. Sure. Plays and all that kind of hair, of yeah, course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that going on. <laughs> but it was different than now. Uh, now, what was it like working with Linda Blair? How much was she aware of the adult level of the material? And um, I don't think she was aware of it at all. I think uh-huh. they – and we spent a lot of time together. And when you she must have, yeah. We, when she wasn't going to school, you know, I'd go in there. We'd play cards and we'd play games and stuff like that. And it, it, I think it was just an adventure. She was, at that time, and it was in the 70s, somebody wants to do the math. Um, <laughs> I think – I know that kids particularly here were a lot more innocent than they are now. In fact, I suspect that if they made the movie now, they wouldn't hire me at all. That, you know, people like uh, Ella Fanning. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're rather like, – well, they I, have the child part of it, but they're also rather sophisticated. I mean – But I know. actually found myself thinking while watching this movie that they couldn't quite get away with this today. I mean, the things that she says and does in that movie – I know this was obviously a scandal at the time when it came out. This was headline news. Evangelical groups were trying to shut it down. But I think – Today, it would almost seem harder. I don't know. There's something about being the first one that at least you get through Wait, the door. More difficult to go, get, go through Today? it? Or well, not less. to go through it, but to make a movie like that, to have uh, a child spewing stuff like that? Yeah, a 12 year old girl doing those things. I wonder if you could get away with that today. I, I, I would think you could get more away with it now. Maybe that, so. That people are much more sophisticated about those things. I want to ask you where they got the name Captain Howdy. That seems so specific to me. It has like, well, you have the demon Pazuzu, which sounds like an ancient source of It's a of fallen evil. angel. I believe Pazuzu is a fallen angel. Okay. So that sounds epic and almost biblical. Captain Howdy has the same kind of 
I don't know, terror associated with it because it feels more like a kid's show. Well, I mean, even the Howdy Doody name association. Tell us where the name Captain Howdy came from. Well, actually, I think Captain Howdy was actually a pilot name back in World War II. But th- but oh. that has nothing to do with The Exorcist. But I think there is a Captain Howdy. I know, I know there's Captain Cody from the serials, like the old war serials. She's she's playing with a Ouija board, and Ellen Burson's character says, who are you talking to? And she just tosses off, oh, Captain Howdy. Well, so you no know. big deal. You oh, know. this is how? That's how. Oh, but but was that improvised, or was that in the – that's from the book, or am I um, wrong about that? Do you know, I have a script, and I'm going to go home and oh, look at it. okay. Maybe we can post it on the website after. There's somebody – a friend of mine um, – has a charity actually, and he asked me if I would do like 500 pictures for him, but include quotes. Uh-huh. And he put these really long quotes, you know, like even like it's an excellent, it's an excellent day for an exorcism. That's like too long. And I told him I'd go through the script and see if I could find any three word <laughs> quotes. So while I'm doing that, I will absolutely see if it's in the original script or it was improvised because I do have the original script at home. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about Max von Sydow. Now, uh, I've read a story when uh, Linda Blair had to say some of the horrible things she had to say. He blew his his line the first time because he was so taken aback by it. Was he a gentleman or is that even true? He was, well, he was, he was very much a gentleman. And the thing was that I think um, he didn't understand that talking about Billy Freakin directing actors again, that he didn't understand the, the Southern Baptist feel to this thing, the, the you know, that kind of uh, religion and, and thing because he was Swedish mm-hmm. and, and Billy would, would go up to him and say, we need this kind of fervor. Da, 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 da. And so they actually took a lot of lines away from him. But he was so nice because, you know, there I was all tucked up in the bed freezing. And they weren't cold because they had wetsuits underneath their clothes. And, you know, most people know the set was kept to about five degrees. Um, And it it was cold. It was cold. Seems like it. And um, (laughs) they they decided if people ate, they would stay warmer. So they set up a little... um, Hot dog stand, soup stand, right outside. No, the set. not and soup, because pea soup is the famous. Yeah, I know. Well, did they serve pea soup? No. Oh, okay. Um, I, actually, I don't even remember the, if there was soup. It seems like there was, but they had hamburgers <laughs> and hot dogs. Everybody on the, you know, fourteen months, but it wasn't, you know, the shooting wasn't fourteen. Was just getting fatter and fatter, <laughs> and I don't know if they were warmer and warmer, but they got fatter and fatter. A little more insulation. Yeah. And how was Ellen Bursted? Um, I didn't really know her very well. But you got to slap her. Uh, yeah, I did. That was fun. <laughs> um, and I did all the – most of the off-camera work for her. Uh-huh. If, when people know that when they're shooting – if you have two people in a scene or three, four, or five people, but specifically if they have two people in a scene, when the other actor is doing their lines and the camera is only on them, somebody has to feed them the lines and hopefully they know what they're doing. I was, uh-huh. um, I was doing a movie with John Savage and – it was my turn to do this rather heavy scene. And I said, where's John? They say he's taking a nap. I said, what do you mean he's taking a nap? Anyway. Well, that is uh, kind of the dividing line between actors is there are actors who will do their own coverage and there are actors who won't. So I did uh, most of the off-camera work for Linda that okay. Ellen could react to. Interesting. Uh, but we didn't really know each other very well. And she naturally was very, very protective over Linda. It was almost like a mother-child oh, that's thing nice that was going on. I don't know if they've kept up with the relationship or what's happened. Hmm. But uh, I know at that time. But otherwise, Lynn, uh, Ellen pretty much kept to herself and she had a headset. And on the scenes I was in, she had a headset on. She'd listen to music to get her in the mood. Actually, I don't know anybody from the movie anymore except Bill Blatty. Oh, really? Yeah, he found me on Facebook. So then he sent me an autographed copy of The Exorcist, and I sent him a joke about writers and 
you know, we corresponded back and forth. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, for a commercial, and then uh, we'll come right back with Eileen Dietz. Back with Eileen Dietz. So let's talk about your process with all the prosthetics, particularly the puking apparatus was pretty intense, right? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, it was like um, uh, it was like a horse's bit. It literally went across your mouth, like if people can imagine a horse's bit, uh-huh. with very very small tubes that I can't help showing you. Like small <laughs> tubes that went underneath the prosthetics. And so the prosthetic is on your cheek. That's and for you guys who don't know what prosthetics are, and I guess there are still people who don't, they're little pieces of, uh, of um, manufactured kind of like almost a little fabric, almost like a, um, maybe a big Band-Aid except soft, mm-hmm. something like that. And they, when they put makeup on your face so it doesn't look like a mask, they do it piece by piece by piece, which is why uh, the exorcist took three and a half hours uh, to put the makeup on mm-hmm. every day. And about an hour and a half, take it off, which is kind of rough because you want to go home. Yeah. So the prosthetics, the tubes had to be so thin that the prosthetics would cover the tube and so you wouldn't see it was a tube you know, naturally coming out. And you couldn't talk, you couldn't eat, and you couldn't smoke. And that pretty much covered it. You know, it was like, but, hey, I was young. It was a, you know, a major motion picture, and Max Van Sydow was there. And I knew Max because my uh, mother had taken us to see foreign films. So I knew who he was. Uh And it was like, there was nothing that I could do in that movie that wasn't fine. How long did you have to wear that horse's bit one time? I think, uh, I don't really quite remember that. Um, I'm not sure if it was before lunch or after lunch, but it was a couple hours. Now, those tubes must have been sort of thick and able to get that thick pea soup out of there, right? They couldn't be tiny, huh? Well, somehow, maybe. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if they dilated. Diluted? Diluted, thank you. Yeah. I was thinking of dilate on your eyes, <laughs> um, if they diluted it or not. But I know after it went through there, I had to kind of move it around in my mouth and kind of help it. And then they didn't. Oh. They actually did enhance the stream, and they had no CGI, so I don't know how they enhanced things, but they enhanced it. And Jason Miller was not pleased. Really? Yeah, Father Karras. He didn't know it was coming. Oh, that's so right. So the reaction, you probably read about that. I did, The yeah. reaction, it was, yeah. It was supposed to hit him in the chest, right, too, but it also it hits him in the face. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Or what the is, other way around. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had a spitting scene that I used to rehearse as well. Right. Because I, I spit like a girl, and I figured, I figured, I made up all these things, right? Because yeah. who knows? And I figured a demon had to spit like a man. So I went <laughs> home, and I, I had one of those shades in my New York apartment that you pull down. Uh-huh. And I made a bullseye on it. What? And I literally used to practice going, you know, <laughs> instead of, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah like so a there, there proper a loogie hawking spit, one who? of those. Do you ever hear of that term? When you hawk a loogie, that's like... That's I know, like, but I can imagine what it means. <laughs> yeah, I won't do it. I'll uh, spare the listeners. But you spend a good amount of time in junior high learning how to properly hawk a loogie. Uh, where were you from? I'm from here. I'm from Whittier. Oh, I'm far away from you're here. from Law. 
I am. I was born in New York. Oh, we we have the coasts. We've bookended this country. We certainly do. <laughs> so overall, Dick Smith, you must have spent a lot of time with him in the makeup oh, chair. D- Dick was, I mean, he passed last summer. Uh-huh. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't pass from like old age or anything. He 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 died from complications of a broken hip, which I guess oh. he was 92. <laughs> and... Um, He's just the sweetest guy in the whole world, and he he used to always watch himself putting on the prosthetics in the mirror, so it looked like he was watching himself talk, but he wasn't, <laughs> and he was a great talker. He told the stories about Marlon Brando and Dustin Hoffman, and I mean, he is the, well, the main thing I remember about Marlon Brando is he couldn't stand uh, making that face mask, being inside the face mask. It made him totally... Um, uh, claustrophobic, and they had to take it off. Which face mask are you talking about? The one for the Godfather. Oh, oh those uh, jowl prosthetics that he had to wear. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. all those, you have to make a, a face mask. I have two at home that are actually bookends from other shows I've done. Really? And they're kind of creepy. <laughs> um, That's right. Now, you've kind of done a huge assortment of horror-related roles. Oh, I've cornered the market really, on middle-aged. Uh, you're the queen of scream. Yeah. Are you drawn to them, or are they drawn to you it's by a, both? It's a, you can get it's It's a combination of both. And I guess um, I'm typecast, which is fine. Yeah. Do you um, want to talk about how, after the film came out, you were not allowed to talk about the fact that you did these roles. Well, no. You don't no, want to talk about it. You'll talk about it. <laughs> um, it I was, feel like it I already ext- know you. It was extremely, um, well, right after it happened, I didn't talk about anything else. It was like people talking about a bad marriage. You'd say, <laughs> how are you, Eileen? And, you know, I'd spew the whole thing. Um, Just because it was such an ordeal? It was horrible. I was invited to come out to California. Just, I suppose, talk about the film. And mm-hmm. they invited me to come out here. Um, three agents were going to sign me. Um, I was married at the time, um, it's a demon face again. Um, and he's the one who convinced me to come out because I also think in our lives we have something that I call a God nudge or that thing that's down in your belly that tells you don't do that, uh-huh. don't do that. And we all have it. Uh-huh. They call it gut reaction yeah, stuff. Feeling. We all have it. And everything in my being below my <laughs> at my way said, don't go to California. Don't go. If you're going to complain about blah, 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 and they're not recognize you, but don't go to California. And then people told me not to go and certainly not to go with my ex-husband, but I went anyway. And um, when I got there, apparently it was um, – Life is kind of funny, and there was a woman in my acting class because everybody in New York knew what I'd done. The breakdown went out. When uh-huh. The breakdown meaning the casting notice. Everybody knew. She had a friend who worked for the L.A. Times, and so she told her friend who worked for the L.A. Times, and I had signed an agreement that I wouldn't say anything uh-huh. because they felt it'd be scarier if everybody thought a 12-year-old was doing their own work. And so I said I wouldn't talk about it. And this includes also the woman that did Mercedes the voice. Mercedes McCambridge, yes, yeah. and the spider walk though that was never in the original that, the spider walk you know, came later yeah but people uh, were really thinking that she did the voice there were six Linda people Blair? that yeah. did that part okay. and my contention right now before i get back to that uh the whole thing was about the oscars and that's why they created this campaign mm-hmm. to say i wasn't in the movie i never did any work i just told you about the work i did yeah. that i was just this upstart actress that would do anything for publicity and you know at that age you have no money you don't do anything and then the rumor went around that i was suing them and of course I wasn't suing them because I didn't have the money to that sue anybody. That rumor is still online. That's hilarious. 
And so a lot of it was horrendous. Someone came up to me once and said, you can't be Eileen Dees. I said, why not? And they said, oh, she's some bleach blonde floozy that'll do anything to get her name in the paper. And it was right after Watergate. I was in California. I was on the Warner Brothers lot. You know, I wanted to be an actress since I was seven. And, you know, I was here. I'd made it. I had agents. I was walking down the lot. The sun was out and everything. And I walked into a small bungalow and I sat down and... Billy freaking came out of the office. I can still tear up over this. Came out of the office. I'd like to see Pazuzu cry. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> but looked at me and said, you will never work in this town again, and left. The, Was that the, a chance meeting, or did he no, know? No, he had set it up. That Warner Brothers called me and asked me to come by. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And, and, and I sat there, and, and like the author said, it, the, the sun went away. There was someone behind the clouds. Everything I'd ever dreamed about in my life that, like I said, since I was little, every dream I had, everything I had, just suddenly went out the window when he said, you'll never work again. And I hadn't done anything. I mean, I'd kept my word. I later found out they garnished about $250,000 more money in PR about who did what. And then they came after Mercedes McCambridge, who had won an Oscar for all the King's men. And she wasn't going to take that, you know. And, in fact, they ran an article in the New York Times about it, said she was drinking again. That's why. And she had been sober for 20 years. And that's where she got that voice from. (laughs) So it was pretty bad. And all three agents, of course, dropped me. They didn't even want to see me. Because of that Well, And things were different then. Mm -hmm. You know, back in, in the 70s, you know, you could probably be a drug abuser. You could do anything you want. Um, but if you messed around just to get your name in the paper or you were a publicity monger or stuff like that, they didn't want anything to do with you. So they all dropped my So meetings. where did they get the idea that you were breaking your vows Oh, that's what I started to say. That, yeah. So the, the woman that knew the woman that worked for the LA Times was best friends with the gossip columnist at the time, whose name escapes me, but she was the head of Hopper of uh-huh. that moment. Yeah. So she just released one little sentence in her, her column that there was a girl out here that said she was in The Exorcist. I just never thought I was ever going to work again because I didn't know what I, – I actually walked on the 20th century lot because I didn't know you weren't supposed to. Innocence is a great thing sometimes. <laughs> and I went to see the people with Planet of the Apes, who was uh-huh. a casting director named Morgan Page. Which you eventually ended up in the television show. Well, that's what Apes, happened. Right? I just walked in his office. I said, hey, I just did this huge makeup job um, in New York, and I want to be a, an ape or a chimpanzee. <laughs> and he said, well, read this. And so I read the scene, and they cast me. Um, and then I went to another place. They did a show called Korg, 70,000 B.C. <sighs> and I did the same thing. I just come off, because they were Neanderthal people. I said, I just came off two big makeup shows, and I want to be on the show. And they read me, and I got the show. And then I started working again. I did Helter Skelter, and that led to General Hospital, and you know, a whole bunch of television, Happy Days, and stuff like that. I finally found a little boutique agency that would handle me. But, um, yeah, so that's what happened. It was pretty bad. And then I, um, my husband and I broke up, thank God. Uh, that lasted a year, or a little, just under a year. And then Facebook, bless Facebook. I get a, a Facebook message that so I don't know if you remember me, but I'm your ex-brother-in-law and Richard is dead. And I started singing this line from Chorus Line, which is, I felt nothing. No, I felt nothing. You are a demon. I know, but as I've learned more about life and spiritualism and stuff like that, that, 
I could blame him forever because he did talk me into coming out to L.A., but I had to take responsibility for it. I see. And when were you finally allowed to kind of come out of the closet as the demon Pazuzu? (laughs) Come out of the closet? (laughs) Legally. Um, I don't know if it was a question. I don't know if I ever was. Um, But you've just done it. I just go to the spiritual center, which is science of the mind, not Scientology. (laughs) Um, And I ran into Dee Wallace. Uh-huh. Who you guys must know. Well, you know she played the mom in E.T., e. yeah. Frighteners, Cujo. And I had known G because we lived in the same complex on Larrabee when I first came out here. And D was running around, da, 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 and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I do horror conventions. And I said, what are they? And she said, oh, da, 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 and you sign things and stuff like that. And then I had dinner with a friend of mine, and she said, do you, he said, do you know that the picture of Captain Howdy is on the cover of Fangoria magazine and on top of a book? So then I started thinking, and I saw Dee again, and Dee said, do you want me to introduce you to my manager, Chris Rowe? And that's how it all changed. Then I decided, because for a long time, I just didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I was so hurt. I mean, I, I almost even can't express how hurt and devastated I was, and I kept trying to you know, examine it and see if what was my fault except coming out. And then they do the heretic soon after, but because everything that came down, they wouldn't see me for the heretic. It was just devastating. Now, jumping back just briefly, what was your reaction when you saw the film? Because you knew you were just making a horror film, and then you end up in a horror film that changes cinema and that gets nominated for Best Picture, first horror film, only horror film ever to do that. I yeah, they, the they, they didn't give, as far as I know, the the only big horror film winner still is um, Kathy Bates from Misery. Oh, yeah. And, and probably Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Silence uh, of Well, Jodie Foster won an award. I don't know if he did. But, but horror your... films, horror films at that time just didn't win awards. Right. What was your don't... reaction to the film when you saw it, though? It, it must have been Believe a bit it of a or surprise. not, and maybe I didn't have the pulse of everybody. We all went to a screening on Third Avenue in New York. And I swear the biggest jump was at the very beginning with the rats in the attic. <laughs> and a lot of that just grew. Nobody knew. It's still, after we saw the screening, nobody really knew what would happen. And Warner Brothers was really smart. I think it was the first film that they didn't let people into the movies until the other one got out uh-huh. so that they could show the lines yeah. and people throwing up, you know, and screaming from the things. And they just really created it, um, which was not to say that the film wasn't a very, very good film, but they also created an atmosphere for the film. They, yeah. they were very smart. And they, the set was closed during the whole shooting. In fact, you weren't allowed to take pictures out. I have two pictures that I took with my camera. I have no idea how I got them, how I saved them. But even Dick Smith wasn't allowed to take pictures. Do you still have those pictures? I have two. Are they online? Can you? I believe they're on my webpage. So finally, why don't you tell us a bit about your book, Exercising My Demons? The, the whole first part of it is truly about how this little skinny little kind of flat-chested buck-toothed kid from Queens got to be in the scariest movie of all time when, you know, I, I was coming out of the era of Jane Mansfield and, and um, Marilyn Monroe and p- people just used to laugh at me and say, you can't be an actress. What makes you think you can be an actress? And so it's about dreams and choices and that God nudge and whatever your dream is, don't give it up. But um, that's what it's about. And then I get to the whole part about um, uh, doing the play and the audition and things I did to get ready for the part that I haven't talked about and meeting Billy Freakin' Linda Blair, going to Dick Smith's studio and what that's all about, the first day on the set. And um, and then the end is an epilogue. I would just add to it through whatever reason 
Besides the question you didn't ask, the other third most question that well, people you, ask. You were saying this at the break, that I, I have not asked two questions that people always ask you that you get tired of a little bit. Is that right? What about all those scary things that happened on the set? Oh, the curse. They, they, they yeah, really man. Oh, come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it depends who the person is. Sometimes right. they, they want to hear... Yes, it well, was. Well, because two, and two were... actors died before the movie was over. Yeah, but it was 14 and a half months. There's a statistical chance people are going to die. <laughs> One of whom was an aged actress, we'll say. You know, yeah. It's not out of the realm of possibility that she could who, pass on. Who, the one that plays uh, Father Karras's mother. Oh, yeah. 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 She was nice. She, like you said, she she was really old anyway. And, yeah. No. And the second one was I scared. Were you scared? No, because I was on the other side of the camera. Asked and answered. Hey, they're paying me, yeah. <laughs> Where I mean, can people find your book? Aha. Then we come back there. If you get in touch with me on Facebook, which is just under Eileen Deeds, and say you want the book, I'll give you an address that you could send a, a check or a money order to, and I'll mail it back. I'll just mail the book. And the reason that's nice is because you can get it autographed that way. Oh, is mine autographed? Not yet. Will you? <laughs> do me the pleasure. I will do that. Okay, Eileen, uh, thank you so much for coming in today and talking okay, about this. Okay, but the this. other way, wait, wait, I'm not going to let you go yet. Um, the other thing so you can close. do is go to <laughs> my uh, webpage, which is www.eileendeeds.com. Yes. Shop is up there too, and you can order Pazuzu statues. Oh, really? Yeah. I How do you have those? Statues. What's really going on here? <laughs> um, I just, um, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in anything. I just believe in miracles, and <laughs> I think we have little miracles every day. Like you got my book. Um, that's my little miracle. That's your little miracle. We've today. got God nudges and little miracles. Yeah. So you could go on there in my shop and um, see what you'd like to buy, and I think Pazuzu's good luck. It was good luck for you. He, absolutely. Well, thank you, Eileen. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it was my pleasure talking. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for a variety pack edition of... Damn, I this is the segment where I talk about people that were originally considered or cast in roles from the film in question. But today, we're not even just limiting ourselves to actors. We're going to talk directors and composers. Just get ready. First up, the role of Regan. What would have been an earlier start to her teen scream queen dominance, not easy to say, Jamie Lee Curtis was sought to play the part of Regan. But apparently her mother, former scream queen supreme, rolls off the tongue. Janet Lee refused. Speaking of mothers and daughters, according to Variety magazine, Carrie Fisher and her mother Debbie Reynolds were also sought after to play the part of Regan and Chris McNeil. There's not even a tween scream queen in there and I can't get it out. But speaking of speaking of magazines, it was reported in Panorama magazine that William Friedkin was considering Brooke Shields for the part of Regan, but ultimately decided against it because she was too young for the part. Even Dana Plato, who played Arnold's older sister Kimberly on different strokes, said she was up for the role. But in a book called Former Child Stars, The Story of America's Least Wanted, the author of The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty, later said that he had no such recollection of this actually happening, and that Plato herself may have made it up. Can you just feel the legend giving you chills? Next up, Regan's mother, Chris McNeil. Audrey Hepburn was William Friedkin's first choice to play the role, and Warner Brothers was all behind this because of her good critical commercial reputation. But she only agreed to do it if it would be filmed in Rome, and it wasn't. Teen Screen Queen debut. Teen Screen Queen. Shirley MacLaine, Jill Clayburgh, and Geraldine Page were also reportedly approached or considered, and Anne Bancroft was another choice, but she was in her first month of pregnancy and was dropped. 
Jane Fonda was offered the role of Chris as well, but she declined to do it, telling William Peter Blatty she didn't believe in fairy tales. Jane Fonda, from Barbarella, and Newsroom. Next, Father Karras. Considerations included Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, and Gene Hackman. Stacy Keach was given the role, but after William Friedkin saw Jason Miller in a Broadway play, he gave Jason Miller the role, and Warner Brothers had to buy Stacy Keach out of his contract. The studio also wanted Marlon Brando for the role of Father Marin. William Friedkin immediately vetoed this, stating that with Brando in the film, it would just become a Brando movie. Now let's talk directors. Stanley Kubrick originally wanted to direct the film, but only if he could produce it himself. The studio was worried that he would go over budget and over schedule, I can't imagine, so they eventually settled on Mark Rydell, but William Peter Blatty himself insisted that William Friedkin direct. After a standoff with the studio, which initially refused to budge over Rydell, Blatty eventually got his way. John Borman had been offered the chance to direct, but he declined because he felt the storyline was too cruel towards children. However, he did accept the role to direct the sequel, Exorcist II, The Heretic. Other directors that Warner had approached included Arthur Penn, Peter Bogdanovich, and Mike Nichols, who didn't want to shoot a film so dependent on a child's performance. And finally, composer. Lalo Schifrin composed a score for The Exorcist, but it was rejected. Friedkin reportedly actually hated the music so much that he stopped the orchestra when they were playing, removed the reels that had been recording, and promptly threw them into the streets, in front of Lalo and his wife. Teen Screen Cream. Debut. Anyway, I made it through. <laughs> That's all for... Damn. I well, was The Exorcist cursed? I don't know, but my speech was on this episode. I would like to thank Molly Hockey for getting me in touch with Eileen Dietz. And remember, if you know of a way to connect me to someone that was present in a great scene in cinema history, email me at IWasThere2Pod at gmail.com. And please, if you can, give this podcast a review on iTunes. The more five-star reviews, the better the news. <sighs> Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.